0: Well, as we get started this morning, um, I have a question for you to think about and to consider. Um, It's here on the screen. Uh, Who's a leader from history that you admire? And I have a little bit of a caveat as you think of your answer here. You can't say Jesus, not because he wasn't a good leader, but just because that's an obvious one. Besides Jesus, who's a leader from history? that you admire? It's a person that could be dead or alive, someone in the area of of politics and government. Maybe it's a business leader, a sports leader or coach, or maybe it's some other uh, person found in the Bible. Who's a leader from history that you admire? Now, just so that I know that you're paying attention, I want you to share your answer to that question with someone sitting next to you. You need 15 seconds to share who you're thinking about with someone sitting next to you. Go ahead. If you're online, share it in the car or in the room that you're listening. Awesome, thank you. You know, there's a lot of different leaders in history that are very familiar and have well-known names. I have a list of some of them right here on the screen. Uh, In the Bible, one of the leaders I think about is Moses, the the man who God chose to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. That was a a difficult job. Uh, In American history, you got George Washington and Abraham Lincoln, someone who recently passed away but was known as being a diplomatic leader, Queen Elizabeth, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. We all know who that is. And Nelson Mandela in the, the business world. Some view Steve Jobs as not only being an innovator, but also a good leader. Henry Ford in the assembly line, and then uh, maybe Condoleezza Rice is a, a recent uh, woman leader who is known for just the gifts that she has. And so oftentimes, when you think of leaders, we think of these people who are famous and who lead big organizations and um, who are very well-known. But I was was doing a little bit of research, and it's interesting, for every one of these leaders, there are people who influenced or led them that you know nothing about, that you've never heard of their names. So for instance, uh, my favorite president, Abraham Lincoln, he had a bunch of mentors and leaders that influenced him. One, in fact, was named Mentor. <laughs> mentor Graham, Henry Clay, John Stewart, Orville Browning. I had never heard of any of those names before. But they were influencers, they were leaders for the leader that we know, who is Abraham Lincoln. Or if you do a little bit of looking in with uh, the life of Martin Luther King Jr., you, you begin to find that there were definitely some people that got him thinking, both spiritually and also racially, on how he could make a difference in our country. For him, they were people like Benjamin Mays and Vernon Johns and Mordecai Johnson and Bayard Rustin. Again, people that probably none of you have ever heard about, or if you have, maybe one or two of them. What about you? If you had to fill in the blanks, not just of a leader from history that you admire, but leaders in your life that have had a big influence on how you think and uh, how you live and on your life and your parenting or your leadership, how would you fill in the blanks you what know, i'm guessing is that probably most of the names you put in those blanks they're not famous probably haven't heard of any of them maybe one or two of them you see here's the thing about leadership you don't need to be famous to be a leader to be a leader you do not need to be the president of your company To be a leader, you don't need to be the manager of your department. To be a leader, you do not need to be the captain on the team. To be a leader, you don't need to be the one who is in charge necessarily. You see, it leads us to our first fill-in for today, if you're following along in your notes, that no matter who you are, you have opportunities for leadership. If you're a parent, you have one of the most awesome opportunities for influence and leadership that there is. If you're an older sibling, I was the oldest in the family, you have an opportunity for leadership. If if you serve at church, you're not just serving. It's an opportunity for influence and leadership. Um, if you're not the newest person at your school next spring or fall, and there are new kids coming, guess what? You have an opportunity for leadership. If you know something about your workplace or your job, you've been there a little longer than some others, you have an opportunity, even if it's not in the title in front of your name, for influence and for leadership. If you've gone through something that someone else is now beginning to go through, guess what you have? An opportunity for influence and for leadership. And you don't need a blog, and you don't need a podcast, and you don't need a bunch of followers online to be a leader. We all have opportunities, every single one of us, dare I say, for leadership and influence. And and so that's how I'm going to define it this morning. The, The working definition I used for this message today for leadership is this, an opportunity to guide or influence the people around you in a certain direction. And what I'll say and what's going to come out in the message today is that if you're a Christian, if you're someone who follows Jesus, not only do you have an opportunity for leadership and influence, I will say you have a responsibility for leadership and influence with the people around you. Now, We are in part two of a message series where we're just going through the book of 1 Timothy, a letter that we haven't, you know, from front to back gone through uh, before, and we're going to be hitting a lot of sections uh, of this letter. Um, As we heard last week, 1 Timothy was written by a pastor in the first century named Paul. Uh, He was most likely in his mid-60s, And he's writing to a friend of his and also someone he's mentoring named Timothy, who's most likely in his early 20s. And what Paul's doing for this aspiring pastor student named Timothy, he's downloading to Timothy, he's writing to Timothy a bunch of things he really feels that 20-year-old Timothy needs to know based on the experience that Paul had. The other part of this mentorship that's kind of interesting, and maybe you didn't know know is that as Paul's writing this, guess where Timothy is? He's pastoring a church in the town called Ephesus. Now, Ephesus happens to be a congregation that, guess who started? Paul. Paul helped to get it started is probably the church that he spent the most amount of time at, which happened to only be three years, but he was there for a while. He knew the people. He knew the things they struggled with. He knew the community. And now he's mentoring, through this letter, a young pastor who's now serving that congregation. One of the things that Paul writes about to Timothy is what to look for when looking for godly leaders. And specifically the context that he was talking about was godly leaders in the church. But the thing we're going to find, and we'll go through this in a second, we're going to find is that some of or many of the things that God values in godly leaders in the church also happen to be the same values that godly great leaders anywhere would want to have. So let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. It begins with verse 1 here. Paul writes to Timothy, here's a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. So I'm going to pause there because this gives us the immediate context. The immediate context is Paul's writing to Timothy about the position of an overseer, which that specific equivalent position probably doesn't exist exactly the same way here uh, 2,000 years later at North Cross. But the basic job of an overseer, I mean, there's multiple people or roles that have that job. Um, A pastor oversees the spiritual welfare of the congregation. The other staff, to an extent, do that. Um, If you are a small group leader, that could be for North Cross youth, for next gen, for North Cross kids, or for adults, you are, in a way, an overseer of people's spiritual and physical health. Um, If you're on our staff and member care team, you've been asked to be an overseer. There's a lot of overseers here at North Cross, and that's the immediate context. Now, Paul's going to now list 13 or so different attributes or qualities that he would want Timothy to look for in someone who would aspire to be an overseer. And We're going to go through all 13 kind of quickly here. Uh, I'm going to try to give you just a little explanation for each one of them. Might be some things you might want to write down or pencil into your Bible about each of these attributes or qualifications, but we're going to go through them kind of quick. And then what I'm going to do after that is I'm going to glean uh, four observations about leadership that we get from these 13 qualities, okay? All right, so here we go. Here's what Paul writes. The overseer is to be above reproach. So someone who's not sinless, otherwise we won't have any overseers or pastors or growth group leaders or anybody, right? Not sinless, but it has shown to live a consistently mature life, mature Christian life over time, that he would be faithful to his wife. Literally in the Greek, if you want to be an overseer, you need to be a one woman man, If you want to have a healthy marriage, you need to be a one-woman man. If you want to follow God, he asks you to be a one-woman man or a one-man woman, okay? And that isn't just physical. It also goes to all sorts of different types of sexual immorality. Stay away in our modern day from pornography and other things that would compromise that faithfulness that we have to our wives or our husbands being that one right place for sex and sexuality. He says the person should be temperate and self-controlled. I think the best way to think about this is not easily swayed, not easily swayed by emotion, not easily swayed by people's opinions, not easily swayed, by culture and the newest thing. He needs to be self-controlled, respectable. The person who aspires to be an overseer should be respectable. And as I was reading a commentary, it mentioned in your actions, in how you talk, and also um, how you look. Please let me know. If you don't think an untucked shirt is respectable, I'll work on it. All my shirts are made that way, but we can figure it out. Respectable. um, Hospitable. Essentially... An overseer needs to love people. I would hope someone who is in the position of an overseer of people loves people and also takes time for people. Um, Able to teach. One of the things we're going to find is that of all these uh, qualifications, this is the only one that's like a skill. The rest are like mm, internal characteristics. But if you want to be an overseer, you should have some ability to teach, and in order to teach, one of the things you need to do to be an overseer is to be in the Word and to fill up, um, not given to drunkenness. I think this is obviously an easy one to understand. Um, alcohol is something that God has given to us and as a blessing, and He doesn't say that in most cases that you can't drink at all, um, but we need to be really careful, uh, whether you're an overseer or not, to not abuse alcohol, and especially as an overseer, that can impair um, your judgment potentially. Um, not violent, but gentle. Uh, you're not, uh, not a bully. You're, you're a person who uh, gauges your words carefully and has kindness, not quarrelsome. <clears throat> Sometimes in ministry, there is going to be conflict, but this is conflict just for the sake of conflict. Someone who likes to argue and get under people's nerves. Think of a, a the Bible says, fathers don't exasperate your children. That, that's the, the kind of quarrelsome that we shouldn't be as an overseer, uh, not a lover of money. We're gonna come back to this one. Uh, this one really goes to what is your priority in life? And as an overseer, it, it shouldn't be materialism. Verse four. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? <clears throat> this, is, this is one that's heavy on my heart um, because of how important it is. And I pray every day uh, that I do a good job and I know I don't do a perfect job, but that I do an adequate job of um, prioritizing ministry but not at the expense of being a dad and a husband. And if you're someone who works, which almost all of us do, I think the very same thing is true of you. You can be an amazing leader of your team, but if we don't lead our families, we're missing something. If we use all of our gifts to lead the team at work or our division or our department, But we don't use those same things to lead spiritually, physically, and all of them, our children or our families at home, we're missing something. Verse 6. He must not be a recent convert, new to the faith, or, and Paul explains why he's saying this, because there's other reasons, but that he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. Uh, so that there's a maturity of faith, a, a a length of time being in the faith. And what Paul says is that people who are new to the faith might easily make their ministry about themselves rather than about the gospel, become conceited. Um, and lastly, he must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. I think this really goes to, the, again, the, the reality of um, how you act at church should be the same as how you act out in the community and at home and at work. And what God doesn't want is us, or let's say a pastor, preaching the gospel on Sunday and cussing out the ref on Wednesday, right? Drinking communion on Sunday and getting drunk at the bar on Thursday or Friday or whatever, that there's a consistency amongst overseers. Now, going through this list this week, I would say, first of all, was very helpful for me and a great reminder as I am someone, and many of you too, have been given a position of leadership, of spiritual leadership in the church. But it also made me ask this question. Is there anyone who's qualified to be a leader in the church? Like, should I resign my position right away? Because I am not all of those things that we just read all of the time. You know, as much as we aspire to be the husbands and wives and the moms and dads that we want to be, the leaders that we'd like to be, as much as we see this list and man say, wow, yes, I want to do that. Yes, I want to be that. At the very same time, as the Spirit pours into you and as faith works in you, that this side of heaven, there's another force at work. Our sinful nature, the devil himself, who would like nothing less than to tempt us to fail at these things. And guess what? You have, and I have, and we will. So, Paul is not telling Timothy to look for perfect people, but maybe say it this way, that these are traits that are seen in people over the course of time. And honestly, again, just right here at North Cross, when we ask people to lead a small group, it's not just because Matt flipped a coin or just looking for warm bodies. We look at these things and wonder, do these people have some of these things or all of them? when we ask someone to be the staff and member care team, when we ask people to be in a spiritual oversight position, these are the types of qualities that we look for and that we pray about. So, it's a lot to think about. A lot that we went through. Maybe a lot of notes that you wrote. I, I want to kind of give you some sticky statements, though, before we leave today, of some themes that I saw as I read through and studied these qualifications over the last couple weeks. So, going back to verse 3 and 5, there's a couple themes here. Um, said that a leader or an overseer should not be a lover of money. He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited. What, what Paul here is really showing And and helping us understand is that a, a Christian leader, a Christian overseer, a Christian leader out in the community, okay, as we transition to a broader application, is someone who understands the purpose of life. Someone who at their base, a leader knows where he's going, knows what life is all about, And that, in this case, it's not about himself or herself. It's not about just, you know, collecting and gathering as many toys as possible and retire as early as possible. Neither of those things are wrong on their own, but that's not the point of life. So here's something, if you want to be a great leader, Paul is telling Timothy, a great leader has a clear direction. A great leader will start with, what is the point? Where am I leading people to? makes me think of uh, going to the youth rally um, this past summer. And I was uh, one of the drivers. We had rented a van uh, that was a 15-passenger van. I think we had 13 people in that thing with luggage. So we were over capacity. And then as we got closer to Tennessee where the youth rally was, uh, my my brother and his youth group ended up hooking up with us and they followed uh, the van that I was driving. So In an era of Google Maps and GPS, typically, directions are not that hard anymore. Some of you remember where most of the time you didn't know where you were going when you were on a trip, and you had the map out, and you're looking and trying to drive with the map in front of you, and we don't need to do that anymore. But on this trip, once we got to the University of Tennessee Knoxville campus, there was this building on campus, I had no idea where it was, where we were supposed to register, and I'll tell you that as someone who was driving a van of 15 with another or 13 with another van following us, not knowing where I was going, and yet knowing I was leading drew me, drove me nuts. It was so uncomfortable knowing that if I'm leading somewhere, everyone is going with me, and I have no idea if we're going in the right direction. Being a leader is hard. Being a leader without a clear sense of where you're going is impossible. And so the question that a good leader needs to ask, a good Christian leader, is what am I living for? Like, I have an opportunity. You have an opportunity to influence people around you in a certain direction. What are you going to use that opportunity for? And there's a lot of things, of course. Think of your children. You teach them a lot of things over the course of their life, right? But what's the main thing? What's the biggest theme that you want to come out? And Paul reminds Timothy that when he's looking for a good leader, it's someone who has clear direction in life. Understands what he's living for. One of of my, my most favorite verses in the Bible that Uh, points to this is what Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians and he, he ties it back to Jesus and then this change in life where he says and Jesus died for all that we should just twiddle our thumbs and try to enjoy life as much as we can until heaven comes because that's what God wants that our whole lives change that yes you can have fun and you can enjoy things, but that at the heart of it, that those who now live in Christ no longer live for themselves or their own accolades or their own finances, or that's not what you live for. Those are blessings, but that's not what you live for. But instead, for him, for Christ, who died for them and was raised again. And there are so many different ways you can live for Christ. Using your gifts or your time, or your day to the fullest, and using your gifts to the best of your ability, that's a way to glorify God. Singing praise on a Sunday morning and engaging your heart and your mind is a way to glorify God and to live for him. But you cannot think about life purpose without reminding ourselves of what Jesus said right before he ascended into heaven, when he said, go, go that our biggest ability to influence this side of heaven is to go and make disciples, to influence others to know that Jesus is their savior. I'll say it this way. The greatest influence you can have in life is helping others know that Jesus loves them. And a great Christian leader, they get that. A great Christian leader at home understands the best influence I could have on my kids is not all of the, you know, well, how to repair their car. I wish I knew that. But what I did learn is that Jesus loves me, and that's the most important thing. The, greatest, the great Christian leaders understand the greatest influence they have is to let others know that Jesus loves them. So that's one thing. A great leader needs a clear sense of direction. Um, another theme I saw as I looked at these verses, uh, we're told to be hospitable, not violent, but Gentle not quarrelsome. It's the way that we interact with people. Here's something that's true in the business world, in the church world, in the world. When it comes to a great leader, a great leader cares about people. And some of you who are in the corporate world, maybe that's most of us, you've worked for leaders who cared about the bottom line more than they cared about you. And that was not a fun place to be. If we're to be honest, some of you, maybe me included, at times have found ourselves as leaders caring more about the bottom line at certain times than about the people that we serve. But a great leader? A great leader cares about the people even as they go after the goals and the the things that are part of their, their job. Because here's what's true. A great leader views every person as a soul bought by the blood of Christ. And as Timothy is looking for overseers, Paul's reminding him, um, you need to care about people. You need to love people. You need to be hospitable. Be gentle and be kind. Here's another one. Notice, we're not going to go through them all. All of these are characteristics of character, qualities of a person's character. Remember when I told you there was only one qualification that had to do with skill or ability? The rest was how a person is, their character. Number three theme that I see is that a great leader prioritizes good character in himself and in the people around him. And when you look through scripture, we see this over and over again. Let me give you a couple of quick examples of this. So um, some of you know the name David or King David. Some of you may not remember how he became king, but God sent the prophet Samuel to the home of his father, whose name was Jesse. And Jesse had eight sons. And as Samuel came to anoint one of Jesse's sons as the next king, guess who Jesse thought didn't need to be there, David. And so the oldest son, Eliab, comes by and Samuel thinks, for sure, this is the one. He looked like a king. He was tall. He was strong. And God tells him that's not the one. he tells him, man, people, they look at outward appearances. God, he looks at the heart and he goes through every one of the sons and Samuel's left with asking Got any others? Yeah, you know, there's a young one. He's out shepherding the sheep. Yeah, bring him in. And he was the one. He was the one that God would say, although he had character issues too, no doubt, that that God called a man after His own heart. That's who God chose to be a leader. Or how about the leader Moses? I referenced him before. Did you know that at the age of 40, he lived to be 120? At the age of 40, um, Moses got into real big trouble because his temper got him to actually kill an Egyptian uh, slave owner because he was abusing an Israelite slave or servant. Moses had to flee for his life, and he spent the next third of his life, 40 years, out in the desert, kind of waiting, waiting for God to call him into leadership. During those 40 years, you know what God did with Moses? He trained him. But it wasn't what you think. You see, Moses had a stuttering problem, but God didn't hold for 40 years a bunch of speaking classes. God knew that Moses was going to lead hundreds of thousands of people out of Egypt But he didn't train Moses in how to get them all lined up and ready to go. God taught Moses patience and self-control and kindness. And did Moses still at times act up? Yeah, that temper showed itself in the wilderness again. But God was more concerned about character that's what a great leader looks for. That's what a, great character, what a great leader looks for in himself. And then finally, a great leader is a great follower. And here's what I mean by that. No matter how much authority or influence you have, no matter how many accomplishments you have, remember that you live under the kingship of the greatest leader, the greatest king, our savior. His name is, of course, Jesus. And when we recognize that, yes, we might have opportunities for influence, but at the heart of it, our identity is child of God because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, wow, leadership at times can be a heavy weight to carry. You're not carrying it alone. When we mess up as leaders, when we look back on our lives as being parents or or at an old job and recognize, man, I could have done that differently... We don't need to sort of be overcome by guilt because we have a great king, a leader who died for us, who forgives us, who empowers us, who leads us. And we get to live under his rule and his leadership. And you know, one other thing about being a follower You know, Jesus had a lot on his shoulders, like the weight of the world. And one of the things he needed to do often, Luke writes about. The news about Jesus spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Leadership, which we all have, is an opportunity but it's also a responsibility. Great leaders are great followers. They are people just like their Savior who are in the Word, who are talking to their Heavenly Father, who recognize that time with God in the Word is an important thing. As we wrap up, one thing I know is that in this world, <laughs> there are plenty of leaders. Some of them we call Influencers. Like, it's literally the title that they are given, and they tell us what is cool and what we should buy. There's lots of leaders, politically, business-wise. I don't know if you ever feel this way, but it seems like there's fewer leaders that I respect. They, they, they might have certain things that they're shooting for or, or leading towards that I maybe agree with. But... <laughs> how they get it done. Maybe you you have that too. We have a world filled with people leading people places. But you know what the world needs? Great leaders. Not in the sense great skills, that's part of it. But, But great leaders know where they're going. They value people. They value character. And they're willing to follow. And every single one of us here have an opportunity to be a leader and to have influence. And I pray that God blesses you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words that Paul wrote to Timothy 2,000 years ago. And Lord, we also thank you for the opportunities you put in front of us uh, to be leaders and influence people, whether that be at home, at work, at school, at church. Lord, help us today through this good reminder of um, maybe just zeroing back in on what it really means to be a good leader, and pray that we carry out those responsibilities to our best. When we fail, Lord, remind us that you have forgiven us and that you give us power Power to do better, power to point not only others but ourselves back to the cross and to our Savior Jesus. It's in His name we pray. Amen. Well, in just a moment.